Welcome to Video Store. I'm Stan Mulberry. Today we are talking about the 1996 John Sayles film Lone Star. So let's step into Barrett Fisher's Video Store. Barrett, how you doing? I'm well, thanks, Sam. Barrett, uh, I, as I was said to you right before we started, I was excited to watch this movie. Um, it was a definite change of pace from the direction we were going with something like Persona. This was very different. I was excited because this is a movie that I had heard of. Um, but I had never seen before. And the only thing that I knew about it was I presume from the title, it was set in Texas. And I knew that this was a movie people talked about Matthew McConaughey being in that this was that he sort of burst on to the, into the consciousness with this movie. Uh, and I knew he was in it for just a very little bit, but that, that everybody said this, that he kind of blew people away with just kind of a, um, his presence in the little bit that he shows up in it. So that's all that I knew going into this movie. Uh, what is your history with this film and with John Sayles? I've got a, actually I got a pretty long history with John Sayles. Um, I was kind of totaling it up and I've actually seen a dozen of sales of 17 films. Um, and actually right up until uh, 2004, I think I had seen almost everything as it came out. But uh, my history of sales goes back to 1980, his first film um, called Return of the Caucus 7, which uh, is kind of a low-rent Big Chill, uh, if, you, if you remember the, the major studio film, The Big Chill. Um, but it's, it's just about a group of, of uh, college friends that get together um, to kind of relive or re-talk uh, about their glory days of, of the 60s. It uh, came out in 1980, and at that time I was living in Brunswick, Maine, uh, having just graduated from Bowdoin College, and there was a little art cinema uh, in 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 the town of Brunswick, about twenty five thousand folks in southern Maine, a uh, little uh, art cinema called the Tontine. And uh, I think, if I recall right, for twenty bucks you could get a you could get a ticket for uh, a pass for for ten movies, so two bucks a movie. And I saw Amy and I, uh, my fiance at the time, we saw many a movie at Tontine. And uh, one of those uh, early ones was uh, Sales' Return of the Caucus 7. So that kind of uh, hooked me on John Sales. And from there on, I saw pretty much uh, everything from The Brother from Another Planet in 1984, which also has Joe Morton in it, by the way, uh, Del Moore in Lone Star, through films like um, Eight Men Out, which is his uh, baseball film about the uh, 1919 Black Sox scandal. Uh, he has a very kind of offbeat um, magical realism film called Secret of Rowan Inish that came out in 94. Um, anyway, so there's a whole range of, of sales as films. So when Lone Star came out, I was uh, already well hooked on, on sales and definitely ready to, to see that. I'll also add that when one of his more recent films, Silver, Silver City, came out that showed in Minneapolis at the Lagoon uh, Cinema, uh, and sales himself was there to introduce the, uh, the film, which was his effort to derail the re-election of um, George Bush. Hmm. Yeah, I will say the only, as I was looking over his movies, this is the name that I have heard and was aware of, and I was thinking, oh yeah, I've seen John Sayles movies. And as I looked at his filmography, I realized uh, I've seen Eight Men Out a few times. I mean, that was I was like 11 years old and really into Joe Jackson. So I was like, yeah, that was... Um, Joe Jackson was having a moment in the late eighties, you know, as we, as we hit the anniversary of that. Um, but then beyond that, I think Rowan Inish was in film forum at Bethel when I was a student. So I, I'm, I'm sure I saw that cause I went to everything there. I can't say I remember much about it other than the title. So that, that movie, if I did see it, didn't leave an impact on me, but that could have easily been because I was, 
um, really tired and fell asleep. It's it's not a uh, indictment of the movie at all. That's that's it's far more of where I was at in life, uh, trying to watch things, but also trying to stay awake. Um, so what about this movie is? Well, okay, let me take a step back. When you think about a John Sayles movie, what comes to mind, and where do we see this as a John Sayles movie? That's a really good question, Sam, because in many respects, this is, in fact, a quintessential John Sayles film. I think one of the things that you expect from a Sayles film is you expect a really well-written film. Um, Sayles is also a novelist, uh, and so he, he's, a good, he's a good writer. You also expect something that's, that's complex, uh, something that's multi-layered, and it's definitely going to have a political message. Um, Sales is definitely in, in that respect an activist filmmaker. So he's very interested in, when I say political message, I don't want to be reductionistic. Maybe it's better to say he engages uh, political and social issues. Uh, and although he often has a perspective or a slant, he also, I think, tries to do a pretty good job of presenting the entire, the whole picture. Although it's pretty clear where his, where his loyalties lie. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, a, a multi-layered themes, um, I think often a very, as you would expect from a novelist, a skillful uh, blending of things which appear naturalistically, but also at the same time are symbolic. Um, he, he does plenty of that sort of thing as well. So in a way, he's kind of like, I guess I would call him kind of a literary person's filmmaker uh, in, in, in a sense. It's, it's not that he doesn't have a visual sensibility. He edits his own films. Uh, and I think that one of the things that's really uh, impressive about Lone Star is the way he edits the cuts from the past, from the present to the past. Um, so it's not as though he isn't a good uh, filmmaker in terms of his visual sensibility, but I think of him more because of the plot and the, and the, uh, the script. Yeah, I will. I have to say the editing thing jumped out at me when I was looking at this, that that whenever you see something that's written, directed and edited by someone, you're like, OK, well, this this is a this is a, a person who's really trying to I mean, in terms of their vision is really deeply in this if they both wrote it, directed it and then also were the one who cut the film and and really thought about the, the construction because so uh I think editing is something that that is often um, underrated as like, like we often don't know the names of editors of films, but they play a really, really big role. So, um, so, uh, and that kind of leads into another question that I have. Um, and this is kind of before we get into the specifics of this film is that as I was reading about this, there was a lot of um, comment about this being like a, a high point of 1990s independent cinema. Um, and I felt like, I think I know what that means, but I thought I'm going to ask Barrett for it to define independent cinema when we're thinking about it that way. Like, like what, what does, what does that mean when we're saying that? That's a good question. Yeah. You know, I mean, at a, at a basic level, we're talking about films that are made outside of the, of the major studio system. So they're not Columbia, Paramount, 20th century, that kind of thing. So that's, that's, that's the classic definition of independent films. This also means it's a film that's probably had to, um, uh, string together uh, a lot of funding from a number of different sources. It's often shot on a, shoe, on a shoestring budget. Uh, and in fact, you know, independent filmmaking has become a lot easier uh, as technology has made it possible to shoot films on iPhones, uh, for example. But that's what, that's what in, in, I mean, so independent means that in terms of production. Um, it can also mean it in terms of uh, some of the, the subjects that are, that are tackled. Uh, often, quote, independent film will take on topics that maybe the major studios aren't quite as willing to engage or not engage in quite the, quite the same way. Um, you know, you mentioned that uh, 
sales, writes, directs, and edits. So he's a true auteur. But also in terms of talking about him as an independent filmmaker, uh, all of his films are produced by his wife, Maggie Renzi. So uh, they're kind of a they're kind of a production unit uh, in, in a sense. Um, so let's dive into the movie. The my, my the first thing that 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 struck me because this is fairly early on in the movie, and I feel weird using this adjective, but I was like, "Wow, young Chris Cooper." I think of Chris Cooper as so much older, and he's forty five in this movie. Like when he <laughs> makes this movie, so he's not he's not that. It's not like you're seeing. I mean, you see young McConaughey here. You don't really see young Chris Cooper, but I was struck by like how young he looked and like yeah. like playing playing a much younger role um and I, I i think chris cooper is often often just such a great um ingredient in a movie like when, if i'm watching something and chris cooper shows up yeah. i think oh that's great i'm yeah. i'm i'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna like this because even in a small part i feel like he adds a lot he seems like a great he seems like a great supporting actor in a movie so it's really interesting also to see like a chris cooper at the center of this movie well, I confess that I didn't recognize him in Little Woman. Oh, I, yeah. I, yeah. I loved his performance, and I kept thinking to myself, who is that guy? And it wasn't until the credits ran that I realized it was Chris Cooper. <laughs> so another another conversation I want to have about this movie, and I'm trying to figure out a way to ask this question and not make it sound like an insult, because I don't mean it that way, because I really liked this movie. But I will say, as I watch this, I just kept thinking, oh, if this was made now, this would be a prestige TV show. This felt like I was watching a show yeah. like The Wire or something. Like, there's lots of characters, there's lots mm -hmm. of storylines. The interconnectedness isn't always evident right away. It takes yeah. a long time to to get there. And it was it was actually really fun to watch that in a movie because mm -hmm. I think for the last, certainly the last ten years, but but really the last fifteen, maybe even twenty years, things like this are now a you know, eight episode or 10 episode Netflix show or something that where, where we would go even a little bit deeper into those, into those things. Um, I was amazed how effective it was as a movie. Uh, but I do, I do kind of want to ask you um, when you think about movies and you think about, and I, when I say TV, I mean like the highest level prestige TV, whatever your, you know, best version of a television show looks like, like what is the difference between those things to you in terms of what they're doing narratively, story-wise, th things like that? Because, be because that was that, that was one of my big takeaways from this is that I, I can't imagine this being a movie in 2020. Hmm. That, 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 that's actually a really interesting question, Sam, because I, I, I've thought about that because I thought about, you know, what, what happens when things move in the opposite direction? So what happens like, you know, you have five seasons of Downton Abbey and now you have a two hour Downton Abbey movie. Um, and, and, you know, and, and, and to kind of back up what you were saying a minute ago, I just uh, Amy and I are in the middle of the second uh, uh, the second series of Fargo. You know, uh, so so so, you know, you have the classic Coen Brothers film, which does everything it does in two hours. And now you have this series which unfolds over the course of you know 10 uh 10, 10 episodes um well you know i think obviously you know what happens is um you, you obviously get a different level of pacing you get it you get the opportunity to go to go deeper into characters so i think that you know that to me it's almost okay here's an analogy just popped into my head which may or may not be uh, uh helpful but it, it's it's almost like an acorn versus an oak tree um you know, I mean, so let's imagine if you could do Lone Star as a as a ten episode uh, series, which maybe sales would do if he was filming it today. Um, 
I, I, I'm not sure that I would get to know those characters. Let's suppose I put this. I, I, I'm not. I'm not sure that I would know more about those characters, but I would just see them um, play out what I already knew about them more fully. Um, so you know, I, I think everything about those relationships has kind of been set up. So at a character level, I think what what you would only get would be what the opportunity is is you get more examples of those characters characters doing more things. Um, I think I think about on the other hand, I think about uh david lynch doing uh the 18 hour twin peaks which really he regards as an 18 hour movie uh so it just gives you a more opportunity to kind of spread out um so i guess you could say it's kind of the plot scenarist dream to be able to have that room that you get in a extended series yeah and i want to be clear i i didn't watch this thinking man i wish this was mm. i was actually really happy it was a movie i just thought Wow, I don't feel like movies feel like this anymore, but this feels like the kind of thing where if this were brought to a studio in 2020, they would say, I love this idea. If, if they would say, I love this idea, they would say, I love this idea, but I see it as this other thing. So it was actually really, I thought it was kind of masterful that in two hours and 15 minutes, I feel like we covered so much ground, um, sometimes literally covered ground. I feel like yeah. we explored that town you know, uh, this was this was a movie that that felt long, and I don't mean that in a bad way either. Like I actually like settling into a long movie. I felt like this movie just kept sprawling out, and we would go to it. We would, you know, we at one point we crossed the border. We go to where uh, the Native American guy is selling. I'm like, I don't even know where that is. It's somewhere. I mean, he says it's between nowhere and I can't remember the line. It's a great line about where he's describing where he's at, but it's just like I just. I I actually really loved the journey, um, and I and I appreciated the fact that I knew it was going to reach some kind of resolution in two hours and fifteen minutes. I'm just amazed he accomplished it because it also doesn't feel like a movie that's in any kind of hurry. Right, right. It, it feels like Texas in that yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it right, reminds right. me of there are certain great uh, there are certain people that I, I watch teach, and I think when I teach a 70 minute lecture, I feel like the whole time I'm running, I'm like trying to get all this stuff in. And then I watch other people. And it's like, how did you cover so much? And you, it didn't feel like you were ever in a hurry. And I felt like that's, that's actually, and I think that is one of the amazing um, magic tricks that he pulls here is I feel like this is, there's so much to this. And I forget about storylines as, as I was preparing for this. I'm like, Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Other thing was in this too. And it's like, how did that fit in this? How did he fit it in this, this time box? Well, I think, you know, I, I think to me that that's the discipline of form. Um, you know, one of the, one of the things that's always been, I think a plague on American uh, television, for example, is uh, the notion that things just run as long as they're commercially viable as opposed to the British approach is often to say, this is a limited series. We're going to have this many episodes. Um, so I think that, you know, so I think what that helps you do is it helps you, um, it helps the director kind of play with pace a little bit. So one of the things that struck, that stuck out to me this time, for example, was that um, when Chris Cooper is driving back after his little research trip, um, Sales takes the time for him to listen to the almost the entire recording of My Love is Like a Mountainside. Um, and because that's that's three minutes, almost, almost four minutes out of out of a two and a quarter hour film, it really stands out. In other, in other words, it, I mean, that becomes a really extended thematic scene. So I think that that's the other thing that that discipline of form does for you, because um, the amount of time that you spend on each of those scenes 
uh, has a particular resonance against the against the whole. Uh, and as you say, it's it's part of a leisurely pace, but at the same time, it becomes part of making an emphasis on that particular relationship. Absolutely. Um, I will, the other thing that jumped out at me is how I mean, this film is almost 25 years old and how prescient it feels for, I mean, I just wrote down a few things that this movie uh, gets into. It talks about the border and immigration. It talks about debates about history, about memorials, <laughs> um, about police violence, about incarceration. It just feels like you could just have this movie come out now and someone would say, wow, this feels like they made this to really talk about the moment in a kind of way. I, I, I just, I was, I was kind of blown away how, how much, and so it kind of made me wonder how did this feel in 1996? Uh, Cause I'm trying to, I, I will say, I mean, that would have been my first year of college. And uh, when I was a student, I felt like I was just in a shell of reading and like, I, I, I sort of lost awareness of the world around me to a certain degree. Um, and it's not that these things weren't issues then, but they seem like such punctuated issues now. Um, so, so did this play? Does this play differently in the mid '90s as opposed to viewing it for the first time now? Well, you know, prob probably the issue of of, of police violence uh, plays a little bit differently. Um, and I would also say, in terms of looking at something this old and thinking how topical it is, that takes us back to do the right thing. Of course, um, but no, I, actually, uh, Sam, I do remember that textbook textbook debate feeling very topical at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we were we'd been doing that actually for a few years in the '90s. So when they, you know, when they have that argument over over the texts, um, I, I just I remember that very distinctly, um, feeling very fresh and, and and relevant. And I happen to love that particular exchange where uh, I can't remember if it's Pilar or the other teacher says that we're trying to present a more complete picture. And uh, the white woman who checks says, and that's what we—that's what has to stop. Right. That's actually a really economical scene for getting a because they're having a a pretty heated, but they're trying to control themselves argument that you get a lot of views expressed really quickly, but also pretty clearly. Um, and that, I mean, that's another thing that that works in terms of the uh, the form a little bit too. I think is because if this were a TV show, like that might be, that scene might be way longer than it needed to be because you're filling space where instead that's a pretty short scene, but it, it just feels like it's like there's punches thrown all around and then you're left to sort of think, okay, I need to process this, you know? So I actually, I really, I really thought that was, um, it's the kind of scene that flies by quickly, but it, it leaves an impact and it, and it speaks to these other things because at the same time, they're talking about that with the history of Texas Sam Deeds is dealing with that with the history of his father, right? It's like, do it, how is he going to be remembered? And then we have this memorial coming as well. And, and, um, and so how do we wrestle with personal history and family history and how though, and how personal history and family history connect to the history of Texas, connect to the history of America, connect to, I, I thought that was just really well done. And also, I would I, I would I would go back to that word you used a few minutes ago, Sam. Economical. I think that's another one of the kind of um, paradoxes of the film, in a way that it'll a, a two and a quarter hour film, and yet I really can't think of much that I would cut. I um, uh, you know it's 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 oddly um, sprawling and spare at, at at the same time, kind of like a good western. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I will say the other thing that this movie is is it's a mystery. I mean, he is trying to, I mean, there is a body found in the first scene and 
if we're thinking about the arc of this movie is about solving that mystery. I mean, the movie's about so much more than that, where I almost kept forgetting about that, that, that mm-hmm. we were also trying to figure that out. Cause I was so interested in these other pieces. Um, so in a way it's, uh, it's kind of, this is kind of my favorite mystery because I feel like, like solving, finding out who actually killed Charlie Wade is not the biggest thing that this movie's about. Um, I mean, it's really interesting at the end, mm-hmm. you know, that we get that resolution, but I didn't feel like, um, like that was this propulsive thing. Um, I feel like it, there were all these other pieces It kept introducing questions and almost side journeys for, for, uh, for Sam deeds that it was like, Oh yeah, we need to get back to thinking about this body too, you know, and, and, and think about how that connects to, to his father. So I really, I actually really enjoyed that. Cause I enjoy, um, exp- kind of exploring the things we don't talk about. I mean, there's mm-hmm. this movies full of the, everybody has these stories and these secrets. And, and part of it is like how much stuff people don't talk about. I mean, so this is, uh, it's a lot like exploring a family history, you know, because, uh, families have the stories they tell and they have the stories they don't tell. And this, if you think about these families have those, but this town has the stories they tell, and the stories they don't tell, but the stories they don't tell are alive and they're part of what mo- are motivating people's decisions. So I found that really, really interesting, you know, kind of pulling at the corners of the, um, the established story. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a, that's a really interesting point because in, in, in a sense, there is no, you know, you know, you know, you know, I think about the moment when Pilar is teaching and she's got all that stuff up on the blackboard and she's kind of doing the classic approach to history. In the, you know, at this time, this happened. At this time, this happened. And and Chet is sitting there, you know, ma- making his cartoons. And and she turns to him, and you think he hasn't been paying attention. She says, "So, so what do we learn from this?" Right? He says something like, "People killing other people." Mm-hmm. So you know, and, and there's there's nothing there's nothing that's about history that's referenced in the in the movie that isn't personal. It's at some level. I mean, so so e- e- even the last line of the film, "Forget the Alamo." Um, I mean, that's about Sam and Pilar, but it's also about the town and it's also about the countries. So, so it's like, it's like everything's a synec. It's like these personal stories are synecdoches for, um, for a larger story. But that's also, you know, as we talked earlier about what's typical of sales, that's very typical of sales. He's, he, uh, he always tells his stories through, uh, through, through his characters, not through abstract ideas. His characters shed light on some abstract ideas and issues, but he's always more interested in the characters. Well, it's interesting is that's the kind of thing that can that can go wrong in movies too. I mean, I think I feel like in the early two thousands there were <clears throat> a handful of movies that were I, I don't know that they were trying to do something similar to this. Where like I think about the year that both Crash and Babel came out, and both of those had these. They were like these big stories, but ultimately, as you watch them, you saw all the different interconnected pieces. And you know, I, I think people's mileage vary on those movies. I don't think those are. I uh, Crash is is often regarded as a movie that people in in hindsight really dislike. Um, I actually thought Babel was pretty interesting, uh, but neither of those are movies that people are talking about 15 or 20 years later, um, unless it's to sort of uh, trash on the movie Crash. Like, like those aren't, you know, so, but, so I, I was thinking about how well done that connected because it connectedness feels really natural here. And maybe because it is existing in a pretty small town too. Um, actually, I, I actually don't know how small this town is. My, my, the, the image he gives us of it is regardless of how big it is, it is small. Right, right, yeah. 
you know, those, those, those films that you mentioned, um, I mean, they're interesting films. I think Crash in particular is a, is a, is a, um, you talked about independent versus how versus a studio filmmaking. I think, I feel like Crash is uh, a film that shows its strings. Uh, it's a marionette film and everybody kind of, uh, moves according to the need of, uh, of a particular, uh, plot i mean it's a tendentious film right it's, it sets out with a particular purpose now I, I i will say that there are moments in lone star where i feel like even though the exposition is uh integrated into the dialogue it does seem like at one point i i, I wanted to say at what when will these characters stop talking about the past in order to bring the audience up to speed so, so there were moments, you know, when I felt like, eh, it seems a little heavy handed that, the, you know, has Polara never really talked about when her father died? Did she never really know that? Um, you know, moment, moments like that. But Although, Barrett, I got to tell you, I, I mean, I don't know what kind of family you come from, but like yeah. there are families where an outsider looks at it and says, like, really? No one's asked this question before. It, <laughs> I mean, like if the, you can be in a family where. There are questions that are just, especially yeah. I think this can happen at a pretty young age. You mm -hmm. learn not to ask questions about things. You, you, right. you sort of touch a dark spot and realize, okay, I'm never going back there. And then it might not be until you're an adult or until uh, somebody from the outside comes into your family and is like, mm -hmm. wait, what is that? And you realize I've never asked that question. Yeah. Yeah. So no, like, like, you know, I think to me, there, there's some plausibility to that. I mean, there's some, this movie's full of conveniences too, that it's like, Oh, this happens to be this person that, you know, but, but that's also like, you have to buy that I think for, yeah. you know, and, uh, I, and, I, and I do by and large. Yeah. I, another thing that I love that's connected to this is I'm a sucker for a movie that um, seems like it's about storytelling too. And there's so, I mean, and I will say this reminded me of, um, okay, this is a, this is a, maybe a strange connection to make or too lofty of a connection to make, but it's what I love about the movie citizen Kane too. And mm -hmm. this had elements of like Sam deeds is just trying to find people to tell him stories about the past. And he's trying to piece this thing together. And I like, and I love that device in citizen Kane where it's the reporter who's trying to mm -hmm. figure out, Charlie Kane's life. And there were just moments where I felt like, oh, this sort of feels like that. Like he's like, why is he going to this person? Well, he just wants to know their take on a particular story, which might be a sliver of this bigger story he's piecing together. Um, and so I'm a sucker for, for a movie about storytelling. Whenever it's, we, we move from sort of a lot of movement and conversation happening to like, oh, now we're pulling in on this person and they're going to tell us the story. And then what sales does is does the little pan over and then we pan mm. into history, mm -hmm. which uh, I thought worked pretty well. Yeah. You know, I, 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 every time that happened, I mean, the first time it sort of surprises you and every other time you're like, all right, we're going to go back in time. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready for it. So I, I, I don't know. That stuff worked really well for me. Yeah. I, I, I that worked well for me as well. Yeah. Um, the, one of the big surprises, again, I don't, I try to not read or know anything uh, about these movies is how probably three quarters of the way through the movie, Francis McDormand shows up for a scene yes. <laughs> and I, I, I love her. And it was, it was, it was cool to see again, sort of a uh, young Francis McDormand. Um, and just in a, just a, a really strange scene. I mean, he goes to get his father's stuff, but then sales also includes this scene, which mostly just tells us a little bit more about Sam's history, you know, and, and how there was a, a different path he was on clearly. Uh, cause I mean, being married to this, I mean, like, like he wasn't always 
the sheriff in this town. He, when he was, you know, he talked about this before, you know, how he, how he sort of came back after that, but um, seeing, imagining him married to this Francis McDermott character is really an interesting thing to try to think about. Yeah. Of course it's the same year she was in Fargo. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, it, it is an interesting scene and it, it kind of stands out because it's, it's quite different from any of the other scenes in the film. Uh, both the setting, uh, it's, it's actually one of the few, um, it's one of the few domestic white spaces in the film, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and, you know, and, and, I, and I think what it does is it ends up, um, it ends up giving you a sense of how strong his love for Pilar is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because when, you know, when Bunny says, you, you know, basically you never really were committed, you never really put your heart in it. And so it, it, helps to, it helps to reinforce that sense that he does need to be back with 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 Pilar. It has the it has the um, uh, the danger, of course, that it could make him slightly less sympathetic to to us because we think, well, you know, he's kind of left this woman uh, alone. But at the same time, um, you can see why it, it wasn't a relationship that could possibly. Right. So I have to say, the strangest thing about that scene, and I'm sure it's intentional to sort of show her odd mania maybe but the fact that she's wearing a cowboy's jersey and a oiler's hat is very strange i just can't imagine in texas there are a lot of people who are like i mean people are crazy about football but not just like football general but you know but it's like like i feel like you got to pick a team right right. and maybe that says something about how i mean it, it probably says something about how she has so much other damage in her life or issues in her life where she has actually just picked football as this thing to obsess on. And it's sort of like in any way, shape or form. I was just, it was just very interesting. It, it, it's also interesting that in a film that's structured largely by father son relationships, um, we actually have a couple of others. We have a, we, that's a father daughter. Mm-hmm. And then with Pilar, we have a mother son and so, a mother daughter with Pilar and, and a mother daughter as well. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, <clears throat> so I want to, <laughs> Uh, I mean, I guess uh, the other the other big theme that I found really interesting is um, how much of this movie is about the lines that are the lines that separate us and how blurry those lines are, um, whether it's the border. I mean, there's the great scene when he goes across the border and the guy draws the 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 line in the sand and he's like and he's talking about, you know, what changes when you cross over a line and just how um, at times people it feels like we have these these separate communities. Um, and there's lots of them. I mean, there's racially separate communities. There's, uh, the military, non-military, there's all the questions about like, um, what does it mean mean to be native American? What does it mean to be black? And, and and like the, the, um, uh, I think Chet is the, the son's name who Mm -hmm. like kind of learns about his heritage and, and, you know, and he asks like, Oh, so am I, am I Indian? And, and the grandfather says like, well, you are by blood, but that doesn't mean anything unless you, I can't remember exactly the words he says, but like, yeah. Blood, only, blood only means what you let it. Right, right. And I mean, yeah. and that's both talking about like their relationship as their blood, but also like like what does that heritage mean if you don't uh if you don't learn about that and recognize that. And so like I just thought that was um one of those themes that's peppered throughout that I really uh that I really found um found interesting, especially the more times you encounter it in different ways. Because yeah. this movie's a lot about also finding those spaces where those things break down because at the core of some of these, some of these mysteries are people crossing those lines. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Well, and it's interesting that he draws that line with a Coke bottle, of course. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I think that's that, that to me is also one of the really key things about about the film, Sam. And I think that one of the one of the things that's really important is the notion that these are lines that are drawn um, both outside uh, outside to keep us apart. Um, uh, so one of the characters says at one point, I forget, forget who it is, you, you don't put sugar and salt in the same jar. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, so there's that, that notion, but I think more, even more importantly, or, and of course, that's why you have the, the, um, the Cliff and Priscilla, uh, relationship, the, inter, the interracial, uh, couple. And, uh, he says at one point, uh, it's, it's, he says something, it's always refreshing when one prejudice is defeated by a deeper prejudice. Um, but I, but I think, I think the more important line or the, the line that Otis talks about is that, uh, is that in, is the inside line and the idea that. Uh, he says, um, you can't just draw a line between the good people and the bad people. Um, and there's there's two ways in which that's significant. Um, Sam is told that when his father came back from uh, Korea, if he hadn't become a deputy, he probably would have gone down a different path. And you can you can look at that cynically and you can say that, oh, I see. And this is, of course, especially poignant in terms of contemporary events. I see that. You can be a criminal on one side of the law, or you can put on a badge to be a criminal on the other side of the law. And that's obviously what Charlie Wade exemplifies, and to a certain extent, Buddy Deeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's corrupt in a, in, 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 a diff- in a different way. So, but, but, you, but you also get this notion that, that those things are, are somewhat complex. Um, you know, Buddy Deeds did, evidently, he made sure that that lake got created, people lost their homes, you know, but at the same time, people felt like, yeah, he also served the interests of, of other people. Uh, and then Big O says, uh, Otis says that um, for the uh, for the black people in town, there's two choices. They can either go to Big O's or the Holiness Church. Uh, but he says most people choose both. Um, and I think that, you know, in a, in a sense, that's what, that's what the, that to me is why it's a really good film because it does talk about those lines, but it never fails to acknowledge the complexity mm-hmm. of, of those lines. It, it never says that you shouldn't be drawing those lines. It says, well, we draw these lines for these reasons. And here's why, the, why these are hard lines to erase or hard lines uh, to get over. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me that it's a very, um, it's a very complex view of our situation rather than to get back to our earlier comment rather than crash, which I think presents a very simplistic view of both the problem and and the solution. Absolutely. Okay. I need to, I need to give you some space here to give you your thoughts on the ending of this movie. Um, The, the sort of resolution that, that Pilar and, uh, and Sam come to as they learn about how they're related um, and, it's just a very, it's, I, I, I did like a double take when I was like, so they're, they're siblings, right? Yeah. Half siblings. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but, but just this, I don't know. I, I, I thought that was a very strange, I mean, it's a very interesting ending, but a very like uh, a very strange ending. I kept waiting for like a little bit more of like, so what is this going to look like? Yeah. It, you know, it, it may, well, a couple of things I'll say about it. I, I have to say, Sam, it's an aspect of, comfortable um and I, i've never quite been sure uh if when other people watch it if that's going to be a real stumbling block for them mm-hmm. um I, I i think it may be an instance where um 
I think it may be an instance where sales uh, thematic arc is more important to him than, um, I won't say plausibility, but more, mm -hmm. more, more important than the moral or the ethical implications. I mean, incest is, is a, I mean, that is a great taboo. Mm -hmm. um and and you know pilar's argument i mean there's a couple of arguments obviously and one is you know we didn't know it uh when we fell in love we had no idea we were, we were related and uh and then at a practical level you know we're not going to produce children so isn't that what the taboo is about and and you know in, in a way i think that's what sales is trying to argue so i think it's 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 back to this idea that blood is only what you let it mean Mm -hmm. um, and so he's. I think he's trying to cancel out the taboo. I'm, I'm not sure he succeeds, but um, that's. I think that's what he's trying to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I got that. I got those things. I just was. I was. It was one of those things where I, I got to that point, and I, maybe I'm just prudish, but I was just like, did I miss? Did I misunderstand something that happened? Because it was such as. It's just not the way that. Um, uh, typically, a film is going to resolve that issue. Mm -hmm. You know, so I just thought well, that that just yeah. It it all it also introduces another genre that the film occupies, which is it's it's also a love story, mm -hmm. um, and so that's you know that's why I think it's it's I mean as you said, uh, you you kind of lose the thread for a while that it's about solving Charlie Wade's murder, but the other thing that really emerges by the end of the film is that this is really a film about about Sam pursuing Pilar. Uh, mm -hmm. That's that's why he's back in Frontera. Absolutely. Other things you want to talk about with this movie that we didn't get to? Um, I want I, I, I want to make a connection to um, a great uh, late John Ford film, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Uh, I thought about this. I actually I did a Google search for The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance yesterday. Yeah, because because of course the the great line in Liberty Valance, which applies to this film, is when the legend becomes fact, print the legend. Um. And that, of course, is what they're doing with Buddy Deeds. Uh, and so, you know, Sam's decision at the end that, um, which is not, which is, you know, th that's that's the other resolution of the film, right? We, we've got the truth about who killed uh, Charlie Wade, but we, 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 don't, we don't need to, you know, we don't need to worry about that damaging the legend. Uh, even right. if the truth comes out, you know, Buddy, Buddy Deeds is, is, is bigger than life. So I think that, you know, that, that's the other theme of the film, right? Which is, uh, and another example of the film's complexity, which is um, all these legendary figures have feet of clay. And so for Sam, for um, that, that kind of cancels out the legend of Buddy Deeds. I mean, he's experienced Buddy in a way that nobody else has experienced him. And so he cannot, you know, as the prophet is not without, is without honor in his hometown. He can't look at his father the way that um, others look at him. But of course, we also discover it, it by the end that Hollis looks at him for a very personal reason as well. When he says, your father had the finest sense of justice of any man I've known. Um, in other words, he saved my skin. And he actually calls him at one point his salvation. So I think that, you know, Sales is saying a lot about legend making uh, and, and why and how we make legends and what we choose to believe and, what, and, and why it is that legends become, uh, to a certain extent, impermeable to truth or fact. Um, you know, for example, there's a lot been written in recent years, and I'm no scholar in this area, but a lot been written about Abraham Lincoln and his actual views on, uh, on race. Uh, and they may not have been as enlightened as we wish they were. Um, but the fact is, the legend of Abraham Lincoln is not going to change as a result of that. Or I think about the recent film Selma and the way that it handled uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s infidelities. Um, it doesn't cancel out 
uh, who Martin Luther King Jr. was and what he contributed. So I think it's it's similar with with Buddy Deeds, not to equate it with Martin Luther King Jr. Right, right, right. No, I thought. But, you know, but but the but the idea that. That, that, that there is a legend and there is fact and there is truth and somehow they manage to uh to to coexist well i i really enjoyed uh this film this is one that i think um i want to give it some time but i but i i definitely want to watch this again uh just because it is so because even even within a week i've i've i feel like some of these storylines, I think, was that in this movie or was that a different movie? There's just so much to it that I, and, and I do think like, I want to go back to the, to watch it for the screen play a little bit too, to, to notice certain things that get said early or that I didn't pick up early that I think if I'm guessing, if you watch it a second time, knowing some of those relationships and how related some of those things are to be like, Oh, I, you know, uh, even thinking back, I'm thinking about how much Pilar's mother, like, the fact that she was one of the big supporters for naming the uh, the the thing after the courthouse after Buddy Deeds, and she's and she was the one who cut the ribbon. And I didn't think much of it at the time, other than well, she's this powerful person in the city, and I was wondering why. Wow, I wonder what her feelings are about this. And then you get to the end and realize, like, oh, I know why. She, like, I know why she was so involved in that. You know, personally, what what her connection to that is. So I think it would actually probably would stand up to a, a pretty interesting rewatch. Well, that's also an interesting point because that that another thing that's going on in this film is it's not just people from one race learning about people from another race, but it's about within the races. For example, you know, she oh, yeah. was, you know she was a quote wetback herself, and and then there's a sense I need to rise above that. Or you have Joe Morton in the scene where he's interrogating the private. He doesn't really understand what it is for a lot of African Americans, what an opportunity the army represents. They may not have, you know, the noble uh, patriotic zeal that he has, but but they have other reasons um, for wanting to be in the military. I I, I also want to say um, that I think Ebert's review was uh, at the time Ebert gave it four stars. Um, I, I I think that his closing his review kind of sums up what I what I think about this film. He says. Um, and it gets back to your question about how was it received 25 years ago. Ebert says, it's about how people try to live together at this moment in America. Lone Star is a great American movie, one of the few to seriously try to regard with open eyes the way we live now. Um, and it's amazing how much of that is still the way we live now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what do you have for us for next week, Barrett? Well, I've been thinking about... Um, you know, some of the, the great American directors, contemporary directors that we haven't delved into yet. Um, and I went through the uh, the AFI uh, list just for the fun of it and uh, determined I've seen at least 82 of the 100. Um, wow. There's a couple I honestly can't remember if I saw them or not, but at least 82. So I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty up on that list. Uh, but anyway, I, I think, you know, one of the, the one of the great living filmmakers right now is Martin Scorsese. Um, and so. I still, of all of his films, I love Raging Bull. Um, you know, it's it's what it's one of the great performances that Nero gave. In some ways, it's the uh, the most complete expression of method acting that I can that I can think of. So I think we ought to go back and do Raging Bull from uh, 1980. I'm so excited when you said Scorsese. I was going through my head like, okay, what 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 would I love to rewatch? And that's a film that I've only seen once. And I will say. Um, not to get ahead of, of next week, but I will say I watched it and I got to the end and I remember distinctly saying, I think I loved that movie. I think it was really great, but I wasn't quite sure. It was definitely a movie that I, I remember thinking, I wish I had somebody to talk with about this to kind of unpack it a little more because I feel like I watched it in a in a weird vacuum, as you sometimes do 
uh, at, at sort of late teens, early twenties, you, you know, like I watch stuff cause it's like, Oh, I've heard this is great. And you watch it. And it's like, I, I kind of wish I was in a class where we could talk about this. Cause I, I think this was kind of great, but I don't exactly know how to unpack it. So I'm really excited um, to rewatch this, but I'm especially excited to have a conversation with you about Raging Bull. Well, I, I only watched it once, Sam, and it was longer ago than you because I watched it when it came out in 1980. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I haven't been back to it since. So. All right. Well, but, this... it, but it's such a powerful film that already, I, I've got images from that film in my head. So absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So another, another, uh, beautiful black and white film too. Yeah, exactly. In particular. Yes. All right. Well, uh, that's all the time that we have for this week, Barrett. Thank you so much for, uh, recommending Lone Star and for having, having this conversation. Um, we will be back next week to talk about Martin Scorsese's raging bull in the video store. Yeah.